friends, welcome back to another episode of the Free to Love podcast. This week's conversation we're calling The Descending Path of Bitterness. We have all experienced the powerful pull towards bitterness. The pain of betrayal and rejection, big and small, arms us with a powerful energy that we so often use to justify our intransigence, firmly planting ourselves in the place of victimization and justifying a destructive entitlement. Left unattended, the roots of bitterness deepen, distorting our perception of reality and robbing us of life and light, the joy of intimate relationships we all long for. This conversation explores the nuances of bitterness and exposes many of its dark fruits, while pointing us towards the power that we have to leave bitterness behind and discover hope, healing, and joy. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Well, Jeff and Jennifer. Hello, Joseph. Hi. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> um, we're back. We're closing in on the final stretch of the season, season one. And last week, we opened up this conversation about some of the good stuff, uh, the the power and the pathway of forgiveness. And we covered a lot of different ground. And today is kind of a companion conversation. And we, we teed it up towards the end of last week's talk and identified that the dark side of forgiveness is unforgiveness. And that is this concept of bitterness, the state of bitterness. So Today, I'm hoping we can dive into and we can pull back the curtain a bit, a name for ourselves and for the listeners, what bitterness looks like. Uh, We're going to talk about the anatomy of it, how we can recognize if it's present in our life, and just the, the power that bitterness has to warp our personalities, our spirits, how it's influencing the church, how we see it manifest in culture. But before we dive into that, um, I want, I want to ground us in a couple of things and we're sitting here in Jeff's office on the campus of North Coast Calvary Chapel. There are beautiful Panera bread, Olive Garden campus. <laughs> and I'm looking at the whiteboard across the room and we got some stuff written up there for, but there's a verse there, second Corinthians twelve nine. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Mm. And I just was looking at that. That was not one that we had identified previously to include in this sort of conversation, but I think it, man, it does tee up for us why we need to enter into our bitterness uh, and the fact that this is something that ultimately, like so much of our pain, yeah, the purpose of this podcast, our belief here is not that, hey, here's 12 tips towards living a free life. And all you have to do is follow this formula and all of your pain will be healed and you'll be a happy, healthy Christian and you can live a hashtag blessed life. That's not our belief here on this podcast. We believe that, yes, while there are tools, while there are tips and strategies uh, that can aid you on a journey. Ultimately, this is a journey of healing that we're inviting you into, that we have said yes to God's invitation in our own lives, in the brokenness of our own stories, those areas where our power 
was manifestly not enough Mm. to overcome the pain or the trauma or the brokenness in our own stories. And we each have had these encounters with the truth of that statement, that God's grace is sufficient, that we don't have to fall victim to things like bitterness um, or to become victims of our pain Mm -hmm. and, and to let it rule over us in power, but God's grace can free us. Mm-hmm. It can transform our pain mm-hmm. into peace. And so I'm just going to rearticulate and we can, then I want to invite you guys to start reflecting on, on our, our theme of conversation today of bitterness. Uh, last week, one of the things that we identified is that all of us need to forgive and it's a practice that is ongoing mm-hmm. because the pain of the world is ongoing because we all go through different seasons of life and um, it's important to know our stories so we can work through the unforgiveness in our past, but God's grace and his life in us is empowering us to forgive the things that ha- the violations of love and trust that we have yet to experience. Yeah. So forgiveness is not a one-time thing. It is one of the fundamental disciplines. It's a mark of a Christian is our capacity to absorb and to forgive, to allow God's grace to transform our pain. So and we our had, willingness to be on the journey. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, our willingness to be on the journey. So last week, uh, I don't know where I got this from. I stole it from somebody else, but I said, that, hey, there's four areas that I see forgiveness needing to operate in. We need to forgive God in some capacity. At some point in the journey, we'll have to forgive God for his mercy, for the problem of evil. We'll have to wrestle with that. Mm-hmm. We need to forgive the world for its brokenness mm-hmm. and that the world is manifest in our family systems. It's manifest in war, government you know, natural disaster, whatever. We need to forgive ourselves for our own weaknesses and our limitations, our own pain, shame. And we need to obviously then the, the, the primary ground where we practice forgiveness is in relationship with one another. Mm. So we said at the end of last episode that the experience of pain can be positively reframed. It's an invitation to forgiveness. It's an invitation to this healing journey and forgiveness is the gateway to freedom. Yeah. Now, the flip side of that is today's conversation, which is that our refusal or our inability to accept the invitation of pain opens the doorway to the descending path into bitterness or mm-hmm. unforgiveness. Mm-hmm. So let's start exploring that descending path mm-hmm. today, shall we? Yeah. Well, I think it starts with that violation. Mm. It starts with that moment, whether that happens today or it happened in the past, there is a moment of violation. Mm -hmm. Love and trustworthiness was violated. There's a wounding. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a traumatic wounding. Maybe it's an irritation, whatever it is, there has been a violation. Um, Something that um, has gone wrong. It's not right. It's counter um, and it's painful. And, quite often we respond with anger. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the, the very initial thing that might happen is anger. Yeah. Um, and I think when we talk about bitterness, we have to talk about anger. Mm-hmm. Anger yeah. is an emotion that we all feel and anger is, has a bad rap. I think um, people, you know, mm-hmm. you don't want to be an angry person or mm-hmm. um, anger can make us feel powerful. Anger can, um, make us feel scary. Um, but anger is actually, if you look at it neutrally, anger can be a very helpful indicator that um, something has gone wrong. Something is not right. Um, anger can be a um, 
an alarm system for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so anger on its own isn't necessarily a negative. There can be righteous anger. When we do see an injustice, when something has happened that is not okay, it's, mm-hmm. and we respond with yeah. indignation of this is not right, that can be mm-hmm. us actually partnering with the heart of God. God gets angry and says, this is not right. Yes. This is not okay. This offense is not the way we should be treating each other. Like that anger can be okay. Um, and so, but I think there's some key characteristics of anger. One of them is um, that it it is an alarm system for our bodies, our minds, our spirits. So it kicks up our nervous system. Mm-hmm. When we feel anger, you feel it physically, you feel it mentally, it takes over, your heart starts racing, you feel it in your body. Um, it is meant to drive us to action. Mm-hmm. So some of those actions, I was thinking about this because... Yeah we all know bad expressions of anger mm-hmm. and actions that might come that are not great. So thinking the positive actions I think anger can drive us to are to maybe write that wrong mm-hmm. um, or to process through that wound or that hurt. Mm-hmm. Like the alarm system goes off and says, that wasn't right. Why am I feeling angry about that? Oh, I need to process mm-hmm. what just happened there. Um, maybe it, prompts us to walk down the road of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Maybe it prompts us to start to address our perspective on something because we got, we got angry and irritated, but it's because we are mm-hmm. being challenged with something mm-hmm. uncomfortable. Um, or it's an invitation to that. There's a learning that we need to investigate. Those are all actions that I think are positive outcomes mm-hmm. from anger. Um, the danger is when we don't resolve our anger. Mm-hmm. We feel it. We don't address it. We don't work through it. And unresolved anger, your nervous system is heightened and you don't do anything about it. It starts to turn toxic in your body. Mm-hmm. It turns toxic physically. We see physical symptoms of people who are suffering from chronic anger. Mm-hmm. Um, it affects your heart. It affects your mm-hmm. Gosh, I, I, I'm looking at you, Jeff. I just know you have a whole list of all the yeah. things that anger can do when it's not resolved. Chronic oh, I've anger. I've them all, so you're right. I can talk about every one of I'm those. I'm just thinking of the physical <laughs> symptoms of yeah. unresolved anger. Like your doctor can tell if you go in oh, yeah. for a checkup, yeah. your doctor oh, yeah. can be like, mm, "You got some stuff to work through, buddy." Well, we get yeah. flooded with cortisol, yeah, and we get flooded with uh, you know adrenaline, mm-hmm. and yet when we don't resolve it, and that remains, those levels remain high. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Your, your blood vessels constrict, you lose the capacity to operate high in your prefrontal neocortex, mm-hmm. right? You know, like that exactly high blood press, pressure. So you're just, you're running, you're redlining. And as you said, by design, because it, yeah. it's meant to drive us towards action. It's meant to drive us towards mm-hmm. action mm-hmm. in a helpful way. Um, so that's just physically, but mentally yeah. and emotionally, you're in this vigilant state. Like it, it's um, unresolved anger can turn toxic mm-hmm. in our yeah. systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I, before we jump into the the effects of unresolved anger, mm-hmm. as you're talking, uh, a verse came to mind, which was uh, James three seventeen through eighteen, I believe, or it's sixteen through seventeen. But uh, wisdom that comes from above is first of all pure, then peace loving. It's impartial and sincere, full of mercy and good fruit, considerate and submissive. But the part that uh, that really stood out to me was that peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. Mm. Now, I bring that up because as I love how you framed anger positively and constructively for us and named for us 
a number of positive fruits of anger that it's inviting us towards. The thing that we so often, if, you know, there's two pathways. One is the pathway we're going to explore, which leads to bitterness, which is the suppression of anger, mm-hmm. or, you know, allowing it to remain chronically. Well, violence is the improper expression of anger. Yeah. And oftentimes, because you said this is all tied up in violations of love and trust, and so there's an element of injustice, mm-hmm. an element of wrong writing that needs to be done here, the great temptation for all of us is that when we are in the grips of anger, without without the proper perspective, without uh, the spiritual perspective and this understanding that anger belongs and that it's okay, but there's healthy ways to engage and to process it, our temptation is to act in anger rather than to yeah. act in peace the way that James yeah. is talking about. And the fruit, even if, even if the injustice that you're trying to write is one... And, and and you have a correct, you understand clearly what needs to be done. If you do it in anger, right? This is the this brings in all, the whole conversation with you know MLK and and nonviolent active nonviolent resistance. Mm-hmm. Like if we if we use violent means to try and overthrow the wrong, we're going to perpetuate the harm. So yeah. the conversation that we want to explore today is the alternative path. That's what forgiveness, our conversation last week, why it was so important. I just wanted to name that explicitly because I feel like a lot of our, the trajectory we're going to take is not exploring the violent Mm -hmm. uh, because that's, those are easy to see Mm -hmm. the unhealthy fruits of anger. We can all name those. We're more interested. We know we're not supposed to lash out like that. So when we do, we feel the shame. We feel all this. We already self-correct and go, I wasn't supposed to do that. Yeah. 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 And so, but today we're going to explore the in, inside of that anger, yeah. suppressed anger. Because we may not act out violently in a physical expression of our anger, but we might stuff it and internalize it. And we think that we're um, better. We think we're doing a good job with mm-hmm. controlling our anger because we've internalized it. But what we're saying today is that that is also a very toxic and unhealthy mm-hmm alternative and not one that we would advise on anyone. You know, as we're talking about this, um, is this not at the heart of Christianity? Mm. Isn't this at the very fundamental essence of, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and the courage that, that it takes for uh, an individual as a believer of Christ is to walk through betrayal, to be able to deal with injustices in our life where Mm. we have severely been, misunderstood or we've been betrayed or we've we've been uh, wrongly attacked mm. is so, you know, as we talk mm-hmm. about forgiveness and the process of forgiveness, and as we move into understand that if we don't forgive one another, what is that going to look like? Mm. We're really talking about the very essence of this new life in Jesus is that the essence of truly being a follower of Jesus Christ is being able to process the the journey of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And I mean, Jesus, you know, you were just talking about temptation. I mean, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, it says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Mm. So he talks about the the very heart of his message is that of forgiving, not only forgiveness of our own debts, Lord, I can't forgive another person if I have not asked for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. If I'm not walking and taking responsibility for my mm-hmm. for my own wrongs and how I've hurt other people. And then I love it because and lead us not into temptation. So what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Well, lead us into temptation is really when we're not able to process 
and take responsibility for the hurt that's been done to us and the hurt that we've caused other people. And what happens if we don't process this journey of forgiveness? The danger is we're opening opening our hearts and our minds to to the evil one. Mm. But deliver us from the evil one. Let us not let us not lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is Jesus. This is at the very heart of why we're doing um, the podcast is the freedom to love. Mm-hmm. And in order to love one another, we have to have the courage to walk through this process of forgiveness. Yeah, yeah. Jeff, I, I appreciate that you how you brought in the Lord's prayer there because that's a a powerful powerful, simple tool and practice that each of us can use to help with this processing uh, that that leads towards forgiveness, towards connection and communion with God and, and leads us into the realm of his protection from the evil one. And, you know, for some of our listeners, I know they'll balk a little bit at, at the, the talk of evil one. And I just want to encourage people to not get hung up on words or phrases. You know, um, we could have a whole different conversation about uh, the personification of evil as understood through the person of the tempter or, you know, throughout Christian history. And that's not, I would love to have that conversation. It's a fascinating one, but you know, this brings up that classic, uh, reference from Paul in Ephesians six about the fact that, Hey, who's, who's the enemy here in the world of bitterness in, in the violation that you've named, uh, the enemy, it's easy for us to mistake it as the other person. Yeah. You know, it's easy to project it outward to sit, to scapegoat other people, other cultures, other circumstances, and to avoid, in doing so, we avoid taking responsibility for two things. One, responsibility, as you said, Jeff, for our own part mm-hmm. in our pain, in the pain of others, in the brokenness of the world. And we don't, we refuse or we deny uh, the influence that the spiritual realm has and plays in this. Mm-hmm. And so we want to be free to talk about that that side of it. So I appreciate you naming for us the fact that there's a, Hey, there's an unseen spiritual element that that is the powers. It's the principalities. Mm -hmm. It's the, the forces of this evil world that are the true enemy to our peace, to our union, to our relationship and community with one another, you know, um, that can be manifested in certain ways that can take up residence and that can be expressed, you know, and it can be understood. Uh, we could talk about structural evil. We could talk about natural evil. You know, we could talk about obviously, relational evil, but I just, uh, pardon my little bunny trail there. I just appreciated how you brought that element into this conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, do you want to talk about some of the signs and, um, symptoms that mm-hmm. we are harboring some bitterness um, yes. and maybe how we get there? Um, if we can, cause I'm not, Cause I'm not an angry person. <laughs> I remember, you know, great segue, Jen. And to in- interject a personal story. I remember at a point in, you know, the last few years where Jeff, uh, actually, I think it was when Kelly and I were either newly married or, or, uh, engaged and we had a FaceTime, we'd had a big meltdown fight, you know, I mean, barn burner sort of thing and desperate, you know, reach out to the rankies, like nine one one to the rankies. And it was on zoom and we're talking and, I can just remember seeing myself, I'm sitting there with my arms crossed and I'm like, oh, I'm such an unfair victim here. And Kelly in her pain is the problem. <laughs> and we were talking for a bit and Jeff at some point just, and clearly he had been just watching this and he looks at me, he's like, what are you so angry about? Who are you angry at? 
and I was dumbstruck. I because I couldn't. I was like, "What do you? I'm not angry." <laughs> you know, I don't have a problem. I'm not an angry person. I was so out of touch with the fact that I had done this, right? Yeah. I had become a victim of bitterness. I couldn't even identify the fact that I was experiencing anger because yeah. I'd so long lived, I'd grown up in the church and had internalized the story. Well, a good Christian boy, I, I have to be a good mm. Christian boy to be loved by God, to belong. Yeah. yeah. Negative emotions yeah. don't belong. Anger is bad. Yeah. Does not belong. So I cannot experience anger. So I cannot recognize, you know, and the times that I do feel anger, I'm intentionally, I'm intensely ashamed and I want to stuff it down. So I was totally out of touch. I could not answer. His question was Mm. so, um, so perceptive and totally undid all of the angry defenses that I had running through my mind about how I was entitled to my victimhood. Yeah. Yeah. Because if we think that anger looks like a red face or yelling, or it looks like stomping around, or it looks like, um, finger pointing and, um, loud talking. We have certain ideas of what we think anger looks like. So if we're not doing those things, Mm -hmm. we think that we're not, um, being, we're not dealing with anger. And I love that you're pointing that out. Um, so I think us talking about this right now, maybe we're all doing a little inventory on, Mm -hmm. Am I actually yeah. harboring some anger? Because so we feel that a violation may occur and we get angry about it, um, which, like we said, could be a a, a normal positive. Res- it can drive us to positive responses, um, but unresolved anger, where we don't address it, we don't um, look at it, uh, can turn into chronic anger. And you might mm-hmm. know that you're dealing with chronic anger if you. Um, it, you are, gosh, what does it look like to feel chronic anger? You, it's right under the surface. So you might be going around your daily life. You might be able to go to work and you're doing your stuff, but man, somebody pokes on that near that topic or near that issue. They bring it up. Oh, how was your weekend? You go, oh, well, like you, Mm -hmm. it's right underneath the surface. Um, Mm -hmm. you constantly feel this need to, to point out the wrongs, mm-hmm. that extra critical edge that you have, mm-hmm. you, there might be some chronic anger there. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also, um, it's uh, the way I describe it, it's, it's our desire for justice. And so, yeah, uh, if we've been betrayed or we've been abused or there's been trauma in our life, then there's been an injustice. But if we don't process it in through the journey of forgiveness, then, then we're going to see it's going to reenact, it's going to resurrect itself if we're driving down, as you said, we're just driving on the freeway and someone cuts in front of us, we're going to want to desire for justice. And mm. sometimes, you know, it may be just a, a misdemeanor, but it's a felony in, in our mind because mm. of, of unhealed past trauma in our life. Yeah. So that's where that chronic anger really becomes, it can be an addiction. It's something that takes Mm. root in us and we don't know how to process that. And it it begins to distort our capacity to see reality. In fact, we're just constantly reliving the past and we're bringing up past hurts and pain that's now filtered in our current perception of a situation in a relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think... um, there's some people 
who wear anger like a badge, Mm -hmm. um, that it actually makes them a little bit holier than thou because I see this injustice Yes, and I am still angry about it. I don't sleep well at night because I see this horror all around us Mm -hmm. and it's almost, um, yeah. There's some phrases out there in culture that's promoting us to live in a Mm -hmm. constant state of anger, Mm -hmm. Um, get angry, stay angry. How dare you calm down about this? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that we should all be upset and angry about injustice. I think that God is upset about injustice. Mm -hmm. Um, However, like we've been saying, we're not meant to stay in this aroused state of um, toxic vigilance mm-hmm. that is taking it out on everybody else. It's meant to turn into something very productive. Um, we don't see God in this constant state of. Wow. What anger. a great phrase. Yeah. Toxic really vigilance. Yeah. Come on, Jen. I love that. Yeah. I just want to so, sit with that one you, for a second. Yeah. And <laughs> so what are the, you know, kind of the characteristics of, of what you're talking about in chronic anger is what does that look like? How do we? How can we identify that if you're in a state of chronic uh, anger, which really is unforgiveness, which then moves into this process of what bitterness or resentment looks like? And one of the things is it's a, it's like a seed that grows. Mm. Yeah, it begins. It begins to. It's like uh, metastasizes. It's like cancer, you know, uh, within us that we don't even realize it's slowly growing, and we have we have very little understanding of how it begins to consume us and begin to take over our thought life, our mm-hmm. emotional life, mm-hmm. and then it spreads. So bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, it begins to harden our hearts and it yeah. begins to spread into our lives and our other relationships. And then it overflows and no longer it is hidden from other people. And yeah. I don't know if you've ever been, you can walk into a room I mean, you can actually walk in a room and you can pick up bitterness. You can pick up Mm -hmm. unforgiveness. And of course, as a counselor, this is something that I see quite frequently is that the number one cause of marital discord and Mm -hmm. which soon leads to divorce is the inability to forgive, which then leads to this root issue of bitterness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does anybody remember off the top of their head what the the Four Horsemen, the Gottman Institute identified in... Four horsemen of uh, the end, the death knell of an, a marriage. Yeah, well, contentment is mm-hmm. definitely one of them, mm-hmm. which is another way of saying mm-hmm. bitterness, resentment, resentment. Oh, contempt. 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 Yes. Yeah. Yes. Contempt. Yeah, yes. Uh, resentment. Bitterness. Yeah. 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 All yeah. one. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of the others. That's okay. People can go. Gottman Institute's done a, a lot of great stuff. You can yeah. go to their website mm-hmm. if, if you're <laughs> interested. Uh, <laughs> but as you're talking, Jeff, um, I'm thinking of how chronic anger, as it sits there, um, it can often then continue in the process. If we're going through the anatomy of how bitterness really takes root, uh, mm-hmm. it can turn into this idea of destructive entitlement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe you've heard a therapist use that phrase before, or maybe you've heard it thrown around a little bit, but man, I, I find myself living in it a little bit sometimes. Um, I see it in others. Oh my gosh. Um, destructive entitlement is when we have been hurt and, and because we have been hurt, a wrong has happened to us. We then feel this sense of uh, that justice 
misguided justice inside of us that says, because I have been hurt, I'm now entitled to take it out on other people yeah. or I'm entitled. Yeah. I lord my hurt over you. Mm-hmm. Um, you owe me something because I've been hurt before. Mm. I've had it harder than you. Therefore you owe me something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's the entitlement piece of this. And it's destructive yeah. because it's also not healthy. It's not fair. You're content. You're perpetuating an injustice mm-hmm. there because uh, the, um, it, being hurt does not give you the right to then turn and hurt others. Mm-hmm. Um, we would we know that logically, but in our flesh, I think we do it all the time. Mm-hmm. Which you're bringing up a powerful story that is gripping our culture. One of our favorite stories in our culture is this myth of redemptive violence which is comes out of mm. the destructive entitlement. It's where we view justice as the aggrieved hero taking into their hands the power of violence and using that against the enemy. And this is you're actually what you're talking about is even worse than that because so often in the, in the stories that we see, you know, whether those Mar- Marvel movies or this Amazon like vigilante stories. Yeah, exactly. Stories. Yeah, hero mm-hmm. stories, right? Where the 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 guy's been wronged and uh, he comes back and, you know, is like, well, I'm going to kill all of the people that murdered my wife, you mm-hmm. know? And man, we, we were like, yes, this feels yeah. like justice. You know, the yeah. use of, uh, he suffered violence and now he's going to stick it to the people who did it. This is one of the most repetitive and uncreative and unlife-giving stories that we are obsessed with. And what you're talking about, though, here with destructive entitlement is actually even worse because um, so often the victims of our destructive entitlement are people who are undeserving of such destructive treatment because they're not not the people who committed the violation. Mm. It's the cat. It's the kid. It's the, you know, it's the spouse. It's the coworker where that chronic anger that's been breeding and simmering in us uh, spills out onto people who don't deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, and there's a distinction when we talk about justice, which we, we all know there's, there, there's need for justice and we mm-hmm. all know there's injustice. However, the distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness is that justice in the kingdom of God is redemptive in nature. Yeah. Mm. So God does declare injustice, but the redemption is the journey of God becoming becoming man mm. and paying the price for the injustice of, of mankind, of my injustice, your injustice, mm. that, that redemptive nature of grace mm-hmm. where we see in our culture today and we see in conflict, in marriages in families is we're seeing punitive yeah. justice. That's right. Yeah. That there needs to be payback. I'm going to, there needs to be not only that I'm going to be the judge, I'm going to be the juror, but I'm going to, I'm going to be one that's going to sentence you. Mm-hmm. And that's just, we just see that spirit of punitive injust of justice yeah. that is really running our culture. Mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, so like Joseph, like you're saying, destructive entitlement can be someone hurt us, someone else hurt us. And then we go um, and, and hurt 
and like pay it forward in the yeah. wrong kind of way, mm-hmm. um, hurt those that may we have power oh, over. What's that phrase? That, hurt yeah. people, hurt people. Yeah, yeah, hurt people, hurt people. But you might be experiencing this live in the moment with, mm-hmm. you said this to me, well, then I'm entitled to say this to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can happen in your yes. your relationships, in your marriages, Absolutely. things like that, yeah. that destructive entitlement. Um, and, and you are, might be experiencing it a lot, like grudge holding. You've really, all of us, we've got to really allow God to show us where we're holding grudges. Mm-hmm. Uh, grudges are not helpful. They are not a badge of um, anything. They're not a badge of righteousness, of righteous anger. Holding a grudge is a wall that you are building up in your soul that mm-hmm. is dividing you from other people and mm-hmm. dividing you from God. And you are grudges are walling you off mm-hmm. from the fullness of life. Mm-hmm. And then from there, uh, as we we see this journey, this process from chronic anger to destructive entitlement, as it begins to grow and metastasize in us, then it turns to this concept of bias confirmation. And that is where actually our narrative, how we look at life, how we look at other people, is we're creating a narrative that is built upon past hurts or past betrayal. And so that distorts our capacity and our ability and our willingness to have the heart of compassion, Mm -hmm. to be in a place of seeing that everybody has been through pain and to look beyond the behavior and look beyond the anger and to be able to look into the heart of people. But when we can't do that, then we're operating out of this sense of... of, of, um, discriminatory perception of what mm-hmm. we call a bias. And it's just a matter of we're yeah. confirming, yeah, I knew this was going to happen. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, this is, I knew this was going to happen because this happened to me before and you did this before and I'm just anticipating you're going to do this again. And so I'm going to label you and I'm going to stereotype you mm-hmm. that this is who you are. Yeah. Yes. Bias confirmation means that um, I have, yes, just like you're saying, Jeff, I've put you in a category that you are an untrustworthy or you always do this. And now I always, I, now I look for ways that you are living into that. Yeah. So you're an, we offe- do this. you're an offender, an oppressor. Yeah. 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 Or whatever label you yeah. have put on your friends, your loved ones, your mm-hmm. anybody that the villain out there, you have created a narrative, a script, and now you just look for ways that they feed into that. So that you can say, see, I was right about them. Mm-hmm. They did it again. Ignoring, it shrinks our vision. So we're unable to see the fullness of that person. And the mm-hmm. fact that like, well, of course, they might, they may have a, a problem with lying, right? Um, they are not just a liar. Mm-hmm. There's, That's good. There's, uh, there's other full parts about who they, so it, it, yeah. we stop allowing people to or be full people. Yes. What drives, what drives right. them Right. It cuts off curiosity. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was thinking as you were describing, Jeff, that, oh, what are some of the characteristics or behavior of people who are at, at this stage in the descent down into bitterness where this bias confirmation has warped their perception of reality? Oh, well, that's where we get, you know, a lot of things that are actually uh, valued in our culture, which is uh, a certain pessimism, a certain cynicism that that is urbane and sophisticated, a certain nihilism mm-hmm. that seems wise, you know, it's yeah. faux wisdom and sarcasm, the cutting edge of sarcasm that we see in so many comics, you know, stand-up comics and, and, and humor that we find really funny because it's got this biting cutting edge mm-hmm. to it. Really, it's, I mean, it's people who are living 
with this lens that is uh, this escalating feedback loop of, of bias confirmation. It, and bias confirmation, we can get into it without realizing it because it's very comfy because mm. we feel right all the time. Yeah. Because when we have set up um, a certain narrative and we only look for evidence that supports our narrative, mm-hmm. then we find it everywhere and we go, see, look at me. I called it. Yep. I am so right. Get a little dopamine hit Yeah. Too. And so it's this like... Yeah. We get very comfortable in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the truth is, is if you've labeled this person a liar and you're only looking for the ways that they are, yep, here they are lying again. What you're saying, Joseph, is we no longer see all the times that they are telling the truth. Mm-hmm. We don't allow a totally balanced perspective them. of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can catch yourself if you are... Um, bias confirmation is really hard to call out in ourselves. Like because we're blinded. Mm -hmm. It is putting blinders on. So I think that's where we really have to get honest with the Lord, allow him to speak to us. Um, And when we want to accuse somebody of something, have an honest moment with the Lord and say, is this a fair accusation or am I being biased right now? Well, what are all the ways that, I mean, true confession time. There are times where Mm -hmm. I want to be like, I need to talk to my husband about this because he is just X, Y, Z, my, whatever my accusation is about how he's not loving me well enough. Mm -hmm. Um, and and he needs to change this. Right. (laughs) Um, and then, oh, I can remember it was our first year of marriage and I was getting myself all worked up about all the ways that he has not been, um, expressing and not telling me he loves me, not doing all these things to keep like, here we are. And I had this gut check moment. Um, and it was definitely with God and he's like, and how have you been loving him well lately? Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh. Uh, and then I, yeah, that broke that, that, that broke that bias confirmation in my mind. Yeah. Cause I was just going through looking for all the evidence that backed up the story that I wanted to create. Yeah. And, um, moments like that, I had to do some soul searching and I realized in my pathway of bitterness here, I was shutting down. I wasn't loving him well. I wasn't doing anything towards him. All the things I was about to complain to him about, I was doing those things to him. Yes. Just blind to it because I was feeling entitled and feeling um, Mm -hmm. and just focused so much on his inaction or his wrongs that I was missing how wrong I was, how off I had been, how unloving I was, and how I was sitting on a pedestal thinking that I was right in all of yeah. it. Um, so I think bias confirmation, all of these, we, um, I, gosh, it's humility. Yeah, it is, it is humility yeah. that helps us break out of this cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just put uh, that out there. Well, thanks for, for being, <laughs> My uh, true yeah, being real. This has been another episode of uh, Jen's true confessions, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love, no, I, I love what you're saying there because as I'm listening to you, I'm going, oh, yeah. This is something that we all have to own that it's constantly at work in us, that we, we have to be vigilant and it requires, this is why community is so important, why a safe community of truth tellers where we can own our brokenness is so valuable. It's why we see so much breakthrough in the group settings that we do, you know, men's and women's yeah. skills mm-hmm. work in is because we, we can function as this loving, truthful mirror mm-hmm. and you hear people processing, getting all riled up as they're talking about their, you know, their spouse who's the problem, and that's the space where we can lovingly say, "Hey, wait a second, you know, it seems like some of the same things are going on in you." And I just, as I'm listening to your story, I'm reflecting on my own and how often 
I've I just, Kelly, if you're listening to this, I'm so sorry. It's uh, I'm the problem. I'm I'm the problem. You know, not you. But this these bias confirmations are are something that we never get over. We constantly have to be aware of it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I one of the things that in my own personal life that I have been able to identify when I'm operating out of this place of unforgiveness or I'm that the root of bitterness is now taking uh, root in my own heart is um, that I can find myself falling into self-pity. Yeah. And mm. that I start, I, you know, I can start really beating up on myself or this isn't fair and I'm not understood or um, I don't feel like I'm really known. And then I can go to a place of self-pity or criticalness or anger so understanding um, that what is driving this sense of resentment or bitterness is is somehow buying into the lie that I'm not known, buying into yes. the lie that that I'm not loved or valued or I'm not understood. And and we know as you know at the heart of of the gospel is that that is not true. That is a lie. God does value us. He sent His Son to to die on the cross, which is the greatest demonstration of of his love and forgiveness for us. But again, we can go back to our past of unhealed wounds or trauma in our past to resurrect those past lies that I'm not known, I'm not understood. And then for me, I can fall into self-pity, I can go into criticalness, I can fall into depression, or, or I'm feeling envious or jealousy, this isn't fair. And it's amazing all these little uh, tributaries of these little branches that are birthed out of unforgiveness yeah. of my character, of my character manifestations of, of really destructive, painful behavior of coping mechanisms yeah. that, that begin to uh, spill over into other relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love, I love you pointing this out, Jeff, because and that that's, that's as we continue and as bitterness takes root in us, it drives us Often we land there in this sense of victimhood, victimization, mm-hmm. um, where nobody knows me. Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't want to know me. I'm not like that place um, where we kind of bottom out there sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it that wall that we started building with the grudges, and you add to it these lies, um, just like you were saying, Jeff. These lies about. Um, I'm unknown, I'm unloved, I'm really not wanted by these people. Mm-hmm. Um, that just further builds that wall, isolating us, pushing us deeper into our coping. Um, and there we go. There we are living in bitterness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we might function and go about our days. We might still be employed and getting our work done, um, but our hearts are hard. Our hearts are lonely um, mm-hmm. and there is a callousness and a wall built up yeah. inside of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one of those ways, as you said, yeah, the landing place, you know, in our descent down this path towards bitterness, as you just named, the ultimate place is living as a victim, right? Yeah. But but right before that, you know, we had identified in the, the anatomy, there's chronic anger leads to destructive entitlement, which develops into a bias confirmation, which then begins to express itself in anticipatory rejection. Mm-hmm. Or as you define it, Jeff, here, a, a pervasive pattern of thinking that assumes and expects rejection and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, this is a, a deep insight that's powerful. That, mm-hmm. 
you know, our friends in the, you know, we're here in North County, San Diego, where, um, you know, the home of, uh, mindfulness movement in the West mm-hmm. and took root and also, you know, a, a, a huge, uh, new age community where we talk about auras and chakras and all these things that I don't understand and haven't explored uh, very much myself, but they ha- there's some truth and wisdom or insight that they're, they're, trying to capture or express their um, that self-fulfilling prophecy, we become this toxic negative person. We begin to, in certain ways, attract these bad experiences and uh, that, that energy, that body of pain that we have created a home for, that we have nursed, that root that's grown, it starts to have a real, make itself really felt in our lives. As you were mentioning, Jeff, as a therapist, you've cultivated this capacity to be sensitive to bitterness when you walk into a room. And this is something that's a, that's a key insight that all of us can, as we can ask God for that insight, that awareness, that sensitivity, and you start looking around at your own life, asking, hey, where in my body, my physical body, the, the, the body of my story, where is this pain stored? Um, and help me see the distortions, the ripple distortions that have happened. Um, it's amazing how that pain becomes a magnet. And we yeah, start I, I right. thinking, I was thinking about working in, you know, I worked in restaurant and bar culture as part of my story while I was in seminary. And um, one of the things that was so fascinating about it is that the camaraderie, particularly in the restaurant industry, is built entirely on grievance. Yeah, it's mm. you're you're you are just Complaint you're complaining yeah. about how awful the people are, how bad management is, and it builds a real tight knit community in certain sense. But it's not one that lasts or that leads to true flourishing or fruitfulness. And it's like you know, yeah, oh, you're right that this person is in, you know, and it's it starts turning into once again, yeah, this this community of this self fulfilling prophecy of it just gets toxic and negative really fast. And that's how, I mean, you talk to restaurant owners and that's the, the worst thing that can happen because they, it's like their staff gets infected mm. and that those restaurants that go there, they, they end up closing mm. because yeah. nobody wants to go. Nobody wants to be there. Yeah. 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 That anticipatory rejection. I'm just, I, I've experienced that. I've seen it. Um, I think we've all kind of seen it. It's, um, it's such a lonely place, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. that place where you're already pushing people away because mm-hmm. you already know that they're going to disappoint you. Mm-hmm. They're already yeah. not going to love you well, just like whatever happened in the past did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, every, now that bias confirmation, it's like that has grown. So it's not just a focused bias. It's now universalized bias that, um, of a rejection in all these different ways and yeah. all these different areas of life. Um, and it really fosters into that, those lies that you were talking about, yeah. Jeff. Yeah. yeah. Life is Isn't it interesting. And so what I'm just to reiterate what you're saying, Jen, is that it does create uh, loneliness. It leads us, it pushes into isolation of emotional cutoffs. Mm-hmm. We, we don't feel safe. We, um, we don't trust people and, that does lead us into this deep, dark corridor of, of self-contempt, where actually then we turn against ourselves. Um, and that's what's so beautiful about what we're experiencing in, in the body of Christ in these communities where we create an environment of safety and confidentiality is that we want to encourage people, 
if you are struggling with isolation, if you're if you seem to be characterizing your situation with self-pity or you're dealing with chronic anger is, you know, there is a place you can come and there is a place where you can feel loved and cared for. And and we want to invite people uh, to come and be part of our sacred community where uh, you you will be loved and you will be um, accepted no matter what you've been through, whatever struggles you've been through is that to know that you do have a voice and to be able to process and, and to have a voice to be able to talk about the, this journey of, of anger or bitterness or dealing with past hurts or betrayal. So we, we, that's why we're doing the podcast is mm-hmm. to invite people into mm-hmm. a process of forgiveness and, and healing. And another real characteristic I believe is, is when we fall into anticipatory rejection is, is that we're not able to let go of our pain. Yeah. And instead, we're always anticipating. I'm not loved. I'm rejected, and I'm going to anticipate I'm going to be rejected again. I'm just going to anticipate that this is what's going to happen, and that really does is birthed out of this deep sense of shame and self contempt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of also what takes us to that that place of victimhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but man saying this, just painting that picture. Um, I think of the times when I've experienced depression in my life, the times Mm. that this can be a very dark and lonely place Mm. and it can feel hopeless, but we are here to tell you that this is not, you may have experienced this. You may be in this right now. You might, Mm -hmm. as we've described these things, you might be like, Oh my gosh, I'm doing that. There is so much hope. This is not the end of the story. Our good, glorious God has provided us a way out of this. Mm. And so we do not have to get stuck here. I think what we want to do is raise awareness that we don't want to be living here. And um, it does, Mm -hmm. we do have to, Mm -hmm. we do have to willingly go, oh my gosh, I'm Mm -hmm. harboring bitterness right now. Um, And, and take that invitation that God is Mm -hmm. extending that Joseph was talking about accept that invitation to do some, it may be a little intimidating at first, Mm -hmm. but the hard work, the worthwhile work of venturing on the journey of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. It walks back these things. It restores, it redeems. There is more to life than what you may be experiencing in this bottom Mm -hmm. of the pit Mm -hmm. of bitterness. Yeah. One thing I appreciate about, well, the, the hope that you just offered. And it it made me realize that one of the tricky parts about this conversation that we're having right now, and that also our culture is having, as we've seen the language of victimhood, as we've seen the rise of grievance studies, as we've seen that become further entrenched into identity politics and grievance politics, it's being unfortunately uh, enshrined in our culture in all sorts of different ways. And uh, there's good sides to that and there's bad sides, you know, because injustice is being exposed and talked about and named and which gives an opportunity for grief and for healing and for redemption to happen. Uh, and, but it also opens up this temptation to live in this place of victim, victimhood and to make that, a, um, to believe that it's possible to make that this positive part of our identity that we need to foster and never let go of. And, 
you know, when you're talking about victimization in, in the book, uh, you, Jeff, you use this term learned helplessness. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'd like for us to explore that a little bit. But before we do, the thing that's coming to mind is that we want to be careful when we're having this conversation about bitterness that uh, we don't want to blame the victims. Mm-hmm. If you if you find yourself down at the bottom of the slippery slope of unforgiveness and the root of bitterness has grown in your life, if you're listening to this and you're going, oh man, they're naming me, they're describing my experience in the world, uh, we, we want to say, hey, uh, you played a part in getting there. We're not blaming you. Uh, we're not shaming you for the fact that you... Uh, are a victim because you are, you have, you have mm. suffered an injustice. You have suffered a violation of love and trust. Um, but as part of the good news that you're talking about is one, there's a God of love who, who longs to radically break into your prison mm-hmm. to jailbreak you. Yeah. And uh, it will take time mm-hmm. to walk the road of forgiveness. We want to be really honest about the fact that grief is a, and grief work is a vital part of undoing the harm of bitterness in our lives. And it's not something that is always linear and it's not something that can happen overnight. It's a good point. Um, so it will take time and it will take your agency, but that's the thing that I is just so frustrating to me about the way that we talk about pain in our culture so often is that it's become, as you said, this, this badge or this pride oftentimes. And, um, and the way we talk about it, it perpetuates the learned helplessness and it mm-hmm. disempowers the victim. It says, no, 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 you need to remain a victim mm-hmm. because that's the, that's the way to honor, to highlight the injustice instead of saying, well, Hey, actually, Hey, how can we offer you, uh, uh, how can we pour hope into you and say that there's a whole community of people, which we hope the church is a, an increasing part of that wants to walk alongside of you to empower you. But more than that, there's a God. There's a Holy Spirit that longs to invade your heart and to empower you to begin to walk backwards yeah. these steps that we have taken down into victimization. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And so how does one live out of a mindset of learned helplessness? And I think an understanding the pain and peace cycle is when we constantly are chronically living out of our past wounds. Mm-hmm. And it's not to, as you said, we're not minimizing, we're not dismissing mm-hmm. that you've experienced betrayal. We don't want to ignore the fact that there have been rejection or there's been some level of harm. Mm-hmm. The, the choice is, do you, want to, do you want to stay stuck in that place of helplessness? Mm-hmm. And then develop a personality and character traits that you're going to then then you're going to express and manifest what we call, you know, um, victimization, which mm-hmm. is really a form of learned helplessness. But what we want to encourage people, and this is something that I know that I've had to process, is that I've had to accept the lies that are attached to my feelings that, yes, I have been betrayed, or yes, I've mm-hmm. been rejected. It is true that I've experienced abandonment, or there are moments that I feel unsafe or unloved. So I have to confess that. Mm. That those those are feelings that that still in many ways resonate within me, but then I have to acknowledge and I have to take responsibility. Well, how do I cope with that when I am experiencing betrayal or rejection? Mm-hmm. Is then my coping mechanism instant instinctively is I'm going to go to ang- I'm going to go to anger, mm. or I'm going to go to anxiety, or I'm going to go to bitterness or resentment. Mm-hmm. So my my 
behavior, unforgiveness, resentment, bitterness, anxiety, anger is birthed out of believing the lies of my past. Yeah. So we have to, what we have to do is take responsibility. We have to be able to identify and name what we're feeling, and then we have to admit it. And the, the process of healing then is when we can embrace the truth, the biblical truth of how does God see us? What does God say about us? Even though, yes, I've been betrayed, but now I know that God has not betrayed me. God actually loves me and he's chosen me. Mm-hmm. Instead, of feeling un- instead of feeling rejected, I am chosen. Instead of feeling devalued, I'm highly valued. So I have to, I have to practice and I have to confront with courage those feelings, those lies from my past. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to bitterness and resentment, I have to be able to acknowledge and confess and to be able to say, I'm not, I'm not helpless. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm not a victim. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But those lies, while that may have happened, you may have been abandoned mm-hmm. or betrayed or that, so that there's, you can, part of your brain is arguing, that's fact though, that really did happen. What Jeff's talking about isn't denying what happened. It's not denying reality. It's saying that there's more to the story. Right. You may have been, that person may have left there. You may have filled you with a sense of abandonment, but that's not the complete story. There's more to the story. And there is a radical truth of how you have been chosen Mm -hmm. and covered and um, pulled into a beautiful sense of belonging that confronts that feeling of abandonment. So every time that, that reality of your past rears its ugly head, you have a, a whole rich other part of the story that says, and yet also mm, this good. is true. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and it's choosing to lean into living out of the truth and the goodness and the redemption um, rather than continuing to lean in and live out of the past. There's a phrase, um, time heals all wounds. And it's simply a myth. It's mm. true. Time does not heal all wounds. Time sometimes just lets those wounds fester. Yeah. They get swept under the rug and they turn cancerous and toxic mm-hmm. and terrible. Yes, time can sometimes give us a broader perspective on things, but time alone, just simply letting things sit there, does not heal. automatically heal it. Right. And so... It's never too late. It's never too late to go back and look at the pain at the start of it all, at the root of it all. And it may feel intimidating, but man, we have an amazing God who is not afraid. We have Jesus who knows you, who's not surprised, who will walk with you, sit with you and revisit that place and give you a different perspective on it, show you that there's more to the story there, um, meet you there. Because pain concealed, I like how you said this, Jeff, pain concealed is pain unhealed. Mm-hmm. It's powerful to go back, look at these pain, painful things and the lies that came out of them, the things that we internalize about ourselves, about the world around us, that those violations taught us. And allow God to write a new story. Mm-hmm. 
I kind of want to land. There's so much more we could talk about here, but this has been such a rich time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I want to land the plane here with two, two texts for us to maybe reflect on. And then uh, Jen, I think I'm going to invite you to cl- the very end of our time. Um, if you could maybe close us in like blessing our listeners and maybe walking us through an, an exercise of, of releasing or inviting God into whatever moment they've got. But the two, the two passages that have come to mind are uh, one is uh, we, you mentioned humility earlier, Jen, and about how humility is the, is a necessary component or gateway towards this forgiveness process towards letting go of our victimization. Um, And first Peter five, five through 10 it just perfectly describes uh, the landscape of some of what we've been talking about. It says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And for me, that flows then just really naturally into, you know, we want to end on this note of hope. How can we, how can we in the midst of our pain and our brokenness, you know, find the hope to carry on. Where's that fuel come from? And we've talked, Jeff, you've, you've spoken beautifully and powerfully a, a couple of times here, just a really clear gospel message of saying, well, Hey, God entered into the pain and brokenness of the world. And, uh, it's from there, that place, that in breaking his life, death and resurrection that we can find the power mm-hmm. to go forward. And Hebrews 12, uh, just lays this out so beautifully. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'd invite you guys to to read it, I do want to share uh, share this right. The reason why Christ is so inescapably transformative is because he entered so fully into the pain of the world and accepted that, and he allowed the power of God through his surrender, through his humility on the cross, to open up a pathway for us to engage with God directly, to receive that same life-giving power. And Hebrews describes it like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us throw off everything that hinders, the victimization of our past pain, the bitterness and the unforgiveness that hinders us and so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So let's meditate on Christ there. And I think it's so powerful. I mean, it's easy for us to feel like Christ is so far off. 
But the, the truth of the reality that we're talking about, the power that's made manifest in the cross, we see that resurrection life and power in, in incredible people's lives throughout history. This is why the, the communion of saints that we he, see des, described here, our Catholic friends have such a better understanding of this because they hold up as examples these people who lived the Christ life, who enabled the, who allowed the power of Christ to... Um, transform incredible suffering. Like mm-hmm. when I think about the pain that I've, that leads to my bitterness, comparison is almost always unhelpful. <laughs> it can be a helpful tool when it right sizes our pain and our suffering. When we look at somebody like Elie Wiesel, when we look at somebody like Nelson Mandela, when we look at, you know, the current, the persecuted church that's happening right now, mm. you know, uh, at Nations Media, my work there, we get to tell stories of the persecuted church and like you know, it is not something that happened far off. It's something actually, there's more persecution going on right now than any time in in human history. Mm. You start talking to some of those people, you start learning from the global church. And we realize that this power that we see in Christ described here in, in Hebrews is living and active today. So why are we not walking in that power? Why are we not walking in the land of forgiveness and in the freedom and the light of that grace becoming agents of that. Why are we so often still trapped in these petty circles of our bitterness, our victimization and our unforgiveness? Mm -hmm. It's, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. 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 So um, I think as we are closing, my thought, um, wherever you are and where, however this has been hitting you today, as we close, I'm just going to lead us in a little prayer um, and invite you to bring, bring your grievances, bring your pain to the foot of the cross, to a God who does hear you, who is listening because I, I know that sometimes we hold on to these things. We end up living in bitterness or experiencing bitterness towards our spouse, towards someone we love, towards a parent, towards all sorts of things. We might be living in this because um, for me, part of that issue, the reason I was there is because I didn't really trust that God was on it that God was going to be a just God, that God was going to address this wrong, this violation that had occurred, um, that no one was sticking up for me. And if I let go of my anger, if I let go of my bitterness, my resentment, then I was giving in to the wrong that had happened. I was making it seem like that was okay. That's not the case. Our God hears Our God sees and our God is on it. He is our advocate. He does not let injustice rest and we can trust him with that. So we don't have to live lives that are trapped or caged in, isolated with walls around us, thinking that we have to carry our own banners, look out for ourselves, defend ourselves, protect ourselves. We can live lives of fullness, lives where we can reestablish and grow trusting relationships with others um, 
Yes, there is evil out there, but there is also really good and wonderful, beautiful things. And um, knowing that God is addressing the wrongs, that God is restoring and redeeming the past, allows us to let him do his work and we can look forward, lift our eyes to him, trust him and take strides towards life. So wherever you may be, wherever you find yourself on the road of unforgiveness, Holy Spirit, would you meet us here? Would you speak to each one of us? You know our hearts, Lord. You know us better than we know ourselves. Would you reveal to us any places where we are deceiving ourselves, any places that we are harboring unhealthy thoughts towards another person, towards ourselves, towards you? God, would you show us where our perception has been skewed by the enemy, skewed by a lie, skewed by a false narrative? And God, would you reveal to us what is real, what is true? The places where we have struggled to see your presence, would you take us back there and show us? Show us your majesty, show us your goodness, show us your kindness, show us your grace, show us your power, show us your gentleness, show us your companionship, show us your broken heart for the things that we've been through. God, I pray for comfort for every person listening. I pray, Lord, for inspiration, and I pray for power. Power that makes us courageous and brave to be willing to uproot our habits and the places that we find ourselves that are just simply not of you. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But you, Lord, you have come that we may have life and have it to the full. So God, would you set us free? Would you break the power of the thief? Every area that has been stolen, destroyed, that has been put, that is just killing us. God, bind it all in the name of Jesus and set us free. Give us courage to forgive. Show us how and work a wonder in us that we may be free to love. We thank you, Lord. We honor you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have questions or need help or for more information about how to take the next step in your healing journey, please feel free to email us at ftlpod at northcoastcalvary.org or head over to the relationshipresource.org to learn about what classes and resources are available to support you. A big thanks to North Coast Calvary Chapel and the Relationship Resource for making this podcast possible. Our podcast was directed and produced by Joseph Carlson and edited by Nate King. 
Original music by the one and only Brian McMaster. <laughs>